surely there is more to the Simone Biles story. Surely. Otherwise, this is absolutely outrageous for this young woman, this athlete, to drop out of the Olympics. So first when she announced, when Simone Biles, the star gymnast, announced that she was withdrawing from the U.S. Uh, team all-around finals, it was reported in the media as possibly an injury. Did she injure her foot? Did she injure her knee in this vault that she had muffed up? And people accepted that. Okay, it was an injury. But Biles herself has said that it was not an injury following that initial report. Um, she's calling it a medical event. She says it's a mental health issue. She doesn't specify exactly what it is. So let's glean what we can from what she has said because, I mean, it's very disappointing as a viewer, as an American, to see what's happened. Like I said, maybe there's more to the story. It almost seems like there must be because otherwise this is the most insane thing that I've ever seen. Simone Biles herself said, this Olympic Games, I wanted it to be for myself when I came in and I felt like I was doing it for other people. Yeah, girl, you are doing it for other people. You're at the Olympics to represent your country, the United States of America. This is not, a, this is not a, an endeavor for self. This is how self-centered our society has become, that when you have the privilege of competing on behalf of the United States under the flag, the red, white, and blue, you act like it's something you're just doing for self-care. I reject this entire notion. I've seen this too much from the Olympics this year. You are there. You are privileged to be representing our country. That's what you are there for. You are not there because of some personal athletic endeavor. Sure, maybe it plays into it because it's the highest pinnacle of achievement, but it's not about you, it's about our country. That's first of all. So then she goes on to say, no injury, thankfully. So she's contradicting the narrative, the reports from the mainstream media that maybe she had hurt her ankle on that vault that she messed up. She says, no injury, thankfully, and that's why I took a step back because I didn't want to do something silly out there and get injured. I thought it was best if the girls took over and did the rest of the job, which they absolutely did. It's been really stressful, these Olympic Games. I just felt like it would be a little bit better to take a backseat and work on my mindfulness. I knew that the girls would do an absolutely great job. So she spent her career jumping off of things and doing flips on things. And all of a sudden in the Olympics, when her team is counting on her to win a gold medal, her team is counting on that her to help them win a gold medal, all of a sudden she realizes that what she's doing is risky. This, this is why this story just doesn't ring true to me. It just, we're missing some key part of this story because you cannot possibly be, what is she, 24 now? She's also not a 13-year-old. That she's been doing this her entire career and all of a sudden now she wants to sit back and just, you know, analyze and soak up the idea that gymnastics is a risky sport. She wants to work on her mindfulness. I mean, if you're into goat yoga and that kind of nonsense, you'd think you'd realize that before you get to the Olympic Games that are halfway through the competition. So she then goes on to say, after the performance I did, I just didn't want to go on. I have to focus on my mental health. I just think mental health is more prevalent in sports right now. We have to protect our minds and our bodies and not just go out and do what the world wants us to do. I don't trust myself as much anymore. Maybe it's getting older. There were a couple days when everybody tweets you and you feel the weight of the world. Um, yes. So she didn't do well in the qualifying round and that is disappointing and I'm sure she didn't want to go on because this is the pinnacle competition in her sport and she messed up. So I'm sure she did have the feeling of, man, I don't want to go on. And yes, it's called getting older that you don't trust your body the same, the same as you used to. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound harsh. I don't want to sound harsh. I just want us to make sure that we understand the facts. This is not a physical injury that she's talking about. She said that she quit the Olympics because she wants to focus on mindfulness. And she claimed that she wasn't having fun and that she wanted this Olympics to be about her. 
So I would equate, I've never been to the Olympics, of course, but I would equate the idea of competing in the Olympics with maybe giving birth, right? This is such a stressful event. You are under so much pressure. It is painful. It is difficult mentally and physically, but you do it because afterward, it's the most one of the most empowering things that you've ever done. Similar to giving birth, perhaps. No one describes the experience as fun, but they describe the experience afterward as totally worth it. So basically what it sounds like to me is that she cracked under the pressure. She has an incredible case of nerves. She lost confidence because of her nerves. And so my question would be, where is her coach? Where is the coaching staff of the United States? Who's allowing her to be trolling on Twitter and seeing all these tweets so that she feels the weight of the world? She should be focusing on her sport. Focusing on her sport. Again, I don't want to sound harsh. Maybe she's had an actual mental breakdown. You know, sometimes the first psychotic break and a mental breakdown happens in your early 20s up even to your 30s. Maybe that's what she's suffering. Maybe she's suffering hallucinations and delusions and needs to be hospitalized and medicated for this significant mental event that has happened. I don't know. I'm not there. But if there's information like this that changes the equation that I just described, I'm certainly open to it. And if there is information that changes the equation, I will be the first to change my mind on this. Because if she suffered a significant mental breakdown, meaning a psychotic break, an event like that, I will change my mind and I'll pray for her and wish her the best and acknowledge that it's the right thing to do to remove yourself from a competition in that case. But Simone Biles has not given us any such information. Not at all. In fact, she stayed on the sideline, smiling and cheering on her teammates. She could clear up the confusion about what's happening because the American people feel betrayed. She could clear up the confusion if she wanted to, if the reports that she just removed herself because she was nervous and wanted to focus on mindfulness, if those reports are inaccurate, she could clear up this confusion with one sentence. But she hasn't done that. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. All right, let's talk about Nutrafol. Men watching the show, why are you still bald? That is my question for you today. Why are you still bald when you have the opportunity to grow thicker, healthier, stronger hair um, with more scalp coverage? That's right. I'm talking about Nutrafol because Nutrafol is a holistic solution for you, a holistic non-pharmaceutical solution for you uh, to help you grow that hair back. That's what you want. I actually didn't realize how significant of an event it is for uh, men to lose their hair. I didn't realize this until I've talked to some men about this. And so this is perfect. This is the reason why 1,500 doctors across the country endorse Nutrafol because it's clinically shown to be effective after three and six months of taking these supplements. So you can grow thicker, healthier hair, and you can support our show, win-win, by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code Liz to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Liz. The promo code Liz is the important part if you want to support our show, and the Nutrafol is the important part if you want to grow hair. There you go, Nutrafol.com, promo code Liz. Okay. Today on this show, I want to be very clear about something. I will not be wearing a mask even if the CDC wants me to, period. As you all know, the CDC has said that fully vaccinated people should now wear masks again in places that are crowded or in places with outbreaks of COVID-19. This is what they say specifically. In areas with substantial and high transmission The CDC recommends fully vaccinated people wear masks in public indoor settings to help prevent the spread of the Delta variant and protect others. 
This includes schools and children in schools. Regardless of the vaccination status, it also includes teachers in grade schools. This is their quote, including teachers, staff, students, and visitors regardless of vaccination status. So here's why I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not trying to be belligerent. I'm not trying to be, well, belligerent. That's the only word that I can think of. This is why I'm not going to wear a mask. A, it scares my child. B, I will not satiate somebody else's irrational fear by inconveniencing myself. C, it makes me feel sick to wear a mask. It makes me feel dizzy. I feel like I can't breathe properly when this is covering my face. D, it dehumanizes people. As I said before, it scares my child. I recently traveled this past weekend on an airplane and my baby, she's six months, she kept pulling my mask down to see my face because it scared her that I was covering my face. It dehumanized people. Wearing a mask, when we're talking about a cloth mask or even a uh, pharmaceutical grade mask, it's also unscientific. I know this is controversial to say, I don't care. It's unscientific. Scientific studies have proven that the only masks that are actually effective in stopping the transmission of the COVID-19 virus are N95 masks. If the government was recommending that people wear N95 masks if they don't want to contract COVID-19, I'd say, sure, that makes sense, okay. That's not what they're doing. They say nothing about N95 masks. I can tell you for a fact, the cloth mask that I wear, I prop it so that the air can get out so that I can actually breathe It is not stopping a single germ. It's not stopping a single particle of that virus. Again, not my opinion. This is the science of the thing. We now know that COVID-19 is transmitted through aerosols. Aerosols are small enough, they just filter right through the masks. So it doesn't stop. Therefore, regardless actually of the science, it's it's tyrannical for the government to try to force us to do this. It's tyrannical. They're trying to tell us that we must wrap our face in cloth if we want to leave our homes, if we want to take part in society. We have to cover our face and our mouth. And it was based on a lie from the beginning because we were told 15 days to slow the spread, flatten the curve, one month to flatten the curve, just until a vaccine. It's been a lie all along. They're going to mandate it again, regardless of what, whether you did what they ask you to do or not. And all of that, by the way, is irrelevant because even if it were scientific, even if it weren't based on a lie, even if it weren't tyrannical, even if it didn't dehumanize people, even if it didn't make you feel sick, even if your baby's not scared of it, it's your choice. It's my choice whether I want to wear a mask or not. It's my choice. The CDC, of course, is a joke. Fauci is a dangerous fraud. And these mandates and these dictates and this ascientific garbage that's being thrown at us isn't going to stop unless we refuse to comply. I know I've said that on probably the past four or five episodes, and I'm not going to stop repeating it until it's ingrained in the American mind. Our government officials represent us. They're not kings. They're not dictators. They're not parents. They're not God. They work for us. If we think that they are not doing a good job, if we think they are abusing us, if we think they are violating our rights, then we make them stop. We vote them out. We peacefully refuse to comply. If we don't, they're just gonna continue down the same trajectory. They're gonna keep running down this road, stealing as much power as possible until we say enough. And if this isn't the time to say enough, then what is? The Biden administration is mandating the COVID vaccine now, regardless of FDA approval status, 
The Biden administration is mandating the COVID vaccine for all federal employees. That's 3 million federal employees who will be required to take the COVID vaccine or submit themselves for not only routine testing, but also any kind of distancing stipulations that the federal government, again, unscientifically, thinks should be used to punish those who won't get the vaccine. So first, by the way, Veterans Affairs, the VA, mandated the COVID vaccine for all of their healthcare workers. And then the Biden administration is expected at least to mandate the COVID vax for all federal workers. Here's the thing. This is the strategy the Biden administration is using to eliminate all skeptics, all lockdown skeptics, all mask skeptics, to eliminate all skeptics or conservatives or science-based workers from the administrative state. Because what's going to happen when he mandates the vaccine for all federal employees? Well, those who don't want to get it will be forced to quit. Those who would question a government mandate will be forced to quit. Those who don't want to tow the radical leftist ideology on COVID-19 will be forced to quit. And what will we be left with? We will be left with this deep state, this administrative state, these swamp creatures filled only with radical leftists and sheep. So it's going to move from 95% left, because remember, during 2016, 95% of donations from federal workers, political donations from federal workers went to Hillary Clinton. So it's going to move from 95% left to 100% left. It's another power grab. This is how he's doing it. And by the way, I highly doubt, I have no information on this, but I highly doubt that if they have a mandate for currently employed federal workers to get the vaccine or submit to routine testing and other mitigation strategies, I highly doubt that they would hire unvaccinated people moving forward either. So it's, it's become a political litmus test. Do you have the vaccine? Okay, you can work for the federal government. Do you not have the vaccine? I'm sorry, you can't work. You can't work for the federal government. I'm not even sure how that's legal to do, to have a litmus test like that when it is such a political litmus test. According to the Biden Department of Justice, it's legal. But here's the thing. It's the Biden Department of Justice saying that the Biden administration is within their boundaries doing this. So they're acting as the judge and the jury here. The Biden Department of Justice says it's legal if Biden mandates the vaccine, even under emergency youth authorization. You don't even have to wait for full FDA approval, they say. Okay, a little conflict of interest to have a, an agency of the federal government tell the chief executive what is legal or not legal. If it is legal, by the way, then Congress, for goodness sake, make it illegal. That's within your purview. It's within your power. If there's ever an action taken by the executive branch that oversteps bounds and it's not clearly illegal, just make it illegal. Pass a piece of legislation. Make it illegal. Because otherwise, what's the Biden administration doing? Going to do? They're trying to set the precedent. They're then going to try to bully and coerce private industry to make to similarly issue these mandates. Because this has been the strategy all along. They want to take power. They want to control your lives. They know there's no limiting principle on what they're doing. They have now completely perfected their strategy of, of creating an emergency, exploiting the emergency in order to infringe on your freedom. And they're now this close to full control. Unless we stop them, unless we peacefully refuse to comply, unless we fire them and vote them out and hold them to account and report on them and make our voices heard. That's why it's expected that the military is going to receive a mandate too. It hasn't happened yet. The Biden administration is actually deflecting this one. They say, well, Joe Biden himself 
isn't necessarily going to mandate the military, but the DOD has the purview to do that. Well, Biden's the commander-in-chief, and the DOD is a federal executive agency. So it's potato-potato. It's the exact same thing. The Democrats want to force people to do it while trying to keep their hands clean. They don't want to take the blame. If they thought it was the proper thing to do, then they would be happy to embrace it, happy to admit to it, happy to want to be praised for it. But they know it's improper. They know it's probably illegal and definitely immoral and unethical. And so they try to do it in a way that they don't have to suffer the responsibility for their actions. Congressman Massey, thank goodness, has introduced a piece of legislation that would ban uh, vaccine mandates for COVID-19 in the military again, because it's possibly legal to make the mandate, but it doesn't make it right. So Massey is doing what he should do, and he's introducing a piece of legislation that would make it illegal for that to be for the COVID vaccine to be mandated in the military. I talked with him this week. If you want to see the full interview, please join us over at lizwheelershow.com slash locals, and you can hear our entire conversation. It's very illuminating, um, not only about his legislation, but about the history of vaccine mandates in the military. But the moral of this story is the same as it always is. These people work for us. If we don't like what they're doing, it's up to us to fire them. So speaking of what you search for on Google, if that's what we were speaking of, let's talk about ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is a way to keep yourself and your family, your children, your spouse, safe online. And what I mean by this is it's not a pleasant idea to think about other people looking at what you search for online, not because you're searching for anything bad or illegal or dirty, but just because it's a matter of privacy. We wouldn't like it if someone was creeping over our shoulder looking at what we search for. Our internet service provider actually is doing all of those things, though. They're looking at every single thing that we search for online. They're looking at every website we visit. And our internet service provider compiles that list about us and then sells our information to ad companies uh, in order to obviously to generate that revenue that the ad companies want to target us specifically based on our search. ExpressVPN helps prevent this from happening to you and your family. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so that your internet service provider cannot see the sites that you visit. They can't identify you. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting all of your data. All you have to do is tap one button regardless of the device that you're on and you are protected. So protect your online activity today. Visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash Liz, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Liz. Protect yourself. You deserve it. So a New York Times reporter by the name of Katie Benner. Again, reporter's the key word here. She is a reporter. She's not uh, an opinion writer. She doesn't write editorials. She is a reporter. She supposedly reports straight news. She has deleted a tweet thread of hers after receiving backlash for it, and rightfully so. This was a terrible tweet thread. Because in this tweet thread, she called supporters of President Trump enemies of the state. Enemies of the state. That's half our country, people. She called us enemies of the state. If you voted for President Trump, if you supported President Trump's administration, enemy of the state. This is what she said, because of course the internet is forever. Uh, enterprising people captured screenshots, knowing that she would probably delete this, which she did. Here's what she said. She said, today's hashtag January 6th select committee underscores the America's current essential national security dilemma. Work to combat legitimate national security threats now entails calling a current politician supporters enemies of the state. It's chilling, isn't it? To be called enemies of the state by a reporter. A reporter. She goes, as Americans, we believe that state power should not be used to work against a political figure or a political party. But what happens if a politician seems to threaten the state? If the politician continues to do so out of office and his entire party supports that threat? 
She goes, this dilemma was unresolved by the Russia probe and two impeachments. With many Republicans denying the reality of the January 6th attack, I doubt the hashtag January 6th committee will resolve it either. That leaves it up to the voters, making it more essential free, fair access to the polls. So before we parse this down, I just wanna say, when I read this, my first thought was, this was the exact point of Pelosi's January 6th committee. This was exactly why Pelosi called this committee. Because she wants to paint all supporters of President Trump, all Republicans who voted for the Republican Party nominee and then supported him as he achieved Republican Party initiatives while in office, she wants us painted as terrorists, domestic terrorists, enemies of the state. Not just for a PR win, but because if you brand somebody an enemy of the state, if you brand them a domestic terrorist, then that justifies infringing on their rights. It justifies violating their First Amendment, for example, silencing their speech. If you call them a danger, if you say their words are violent, if you say they're a terrorist and this is how they incite insurrections, then one by one, down the list in the Constitution, your, con your previously protected constitutional rights will be violated by Nancy Pelosi. This was the exact point of the January 6th committee. This woman is evil, but she's strategically politically smart. This is exactly why she does this, why she does this. So if you watched the first day of the January 6th committee hearings, you'll know that the first day was completely filled with lies. Um, some of the lies, for example, um, Officer Brian Sicknick, who died of a stroke, uh, it was originally reported that he died at the hands of a fire extinguisher wielded by a conservative. That's what the mainstream media reported. Um, it turned out not to be true. He died of a stroke that the medical examiner said um, appeared to be natural causes. There's no evidence that him, his response on January 6th or what he suffered on January 6th was related to his death. Additionally, there were two cops that committed suicide in the wake of January 6th. And again, there's no evidence that this was related in any way to anything that happened on January 6th. But the mainstream media all along has claimed that, so, I think they claim that seven people died um, on January 6th and it was all natural causes except the one woman, except Ashley Babbitt. Um, the rest of it was natural causes. So that's the first thing. The, the first day of that hearing was filled with lies in Congress. These lies were still being perpetuated by witnesses, by the Democrats. Um, the witnesses were also very biased. In particular was Officer Harry Dunn. This was, Harry Dunn is kind of the Democrats' star witness. He's a longtime police officer, Capitol uh, Hill police officer. He's a black man. And they had him up there to emotionally recount his experience on January 6th, trying to help set, they're not trying to get to the bottom of what happened on January 6th, they're trying to set a narrative about the day. They're trying to set a narrative that conservatives are racist insurrectionists. Um, and so Harry Dunn went up on the witness stand or he testified in Congress and um, he's called America racist in the past. This is probably a good preface. This man has called America racist in the past. He previously tweeted, Racism is so American that when you protest it, people think you're protesting America. That's a tweet from this police officer. Now, this police officer claims that on January 6th, racial slurs, the N-word actually, were used against him. And if that's true, that's absolutely horrible. If that's true, it ought to be condemned. No one should ever use that word, and it certainly shouldn't be used as a slur against someone else. If that's true, we have no video evidence that this is true. And the only reason that, or the reason that I question whether there is proof of this is because We've seen video of a lot of other things that have happened on January 6th, or video has come out, and you would think that if this had happened, video would come out. Um, what we also know is he's very upset about the story that he's been telling 
um, where he claims that racial slurs were used against him. Um, and yet, he himself online has hurled absolutely horrendous slurs at conservatives. At conservatives, he claims, I mean, he, he tweeted at one time, I hate Tucker Carlson, called him an a-hole who hates everything that doesn't look like him. So Harry Dunn called Tucker Carlson a racist, which is a horrible thing to call somebody based on the fact that he doesn't agree with his politics. Harry Dunn called Laura Ingram on Twitter a, and excuse my French here, this is his words, not mine, a trash-ass human. So he claims to be the victim of slurs, and yet he uses them against other people. Now, again, it doesn't make it right if slurs were hurled at him. It's still wrong. But he engages in the exact kind of behavior that he's dubbing an insurrection. Talking about being treated poorly, he treats other people poorly. He's also a radical leftist. He's uh, tweeted before hashtag, I stand with Ilhan Omar. Ilhan Omar is an anti-Semite and a bigot and a socialist who's probably committed immigration fraud, who's almost certainly committed campaign finance fraud when she gave money to the man that she left her old husband and then married and made her new husband. Yet he stands with Ilhan Omar and he's justified the violence that happened during the Black Lives Matter riots. This is what he tweeted about the Black Lives Matter riots, the ones that resulted in buildings being burned, police officers being assaulted, stores being looted, people's livelihoods being destroyed. He said, quote, why is murder an appropriate response to property damage, but property damage not an appropriate response to murder? This dude is a police officer. He knows better. He knows that that's not how our criminal justice system works. Our criminal justice system is not a vigilante system where if you don't like something that happens, if you consider, even, even if you consider the government to have committed an injustice, we have recourse. The last recourse is resorting to violence. And if you have exhausted all other recourses and you feel that you have no other option but to, but to resort to violence, you don't resort to stealing shoes and purses. That's not how it works. So this, by the way, Harry Dunn was a star witness at the Democrats' January 6th committee hearing yesterday. It was full of lies. It was full of progressive propagandizing. Exactly what we expected. Exactly what we expected. Because this is the Democrats' plan. This is their strategy. This is why they've been lying to you. Because they want to paint you. They want to paint us. They want to paint anybody who voted for President Trump and who supported him any Republican, any conservative, as an enemy of the state. All right, speaking of people who are proud to be American, patriots, speaking of Spencer Clavin, let's talk about Spencer's podcast, Young Heretics. So Spencer's podcast, Young Heretics, is produced by Soundfront, who are the same guys who produce my podcast. They also produce Verdict with Ted Cruz. I highly recommend that you subscribe to Young Heretics with Spencer Clavin. He takes these great works of literature and he not only breaks them down so that I can understand them, he applies what's learned there, not just to our politics, but to who we are as human beings. Because politics is downstream of culture, right? And so who we are and how we live and the philosophy that underpins our life is actually really important to the overall stance of our country, the overall longevity of our government, the uh, cultural impact on the political policies that happen to our country. So subscribe to Young Heretics at youngheretics.com. Join us, listen to Spencer. Um, what, what he tells us every week is super helpful. And please tell him that I sent you. Subscribe to Young Heretics at youngheretics.com or whenever, wherever you get your pods. 
So Nancy Pelosi is a fake Catholic. I think we all know that. Um, and I don't know why, actually, that she pretends that she's a devout Catholic. She's not stupid. She knows that she's violating the core of Catholic doctrine, the core of biblical teaching on the sanctity of life. And the Catholic Church, unfortunately, I'm a practicing Catholic. I love being Catholic. I deeply believe the theology of the Catholic Church. But the men who run the church are so disappointing. So disappointing. They're such squishes. They won't push back on Biden. They won't push back on Pelosi. They won't push back on pro-abortion politicians who still pretend that they are Catholics in good standing. It's so disappointing. And this is from the top down, by the way. This is from Pope Francis all the way down to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, all the way down to parish priests, with the exception of one man. The San Francisco, the Archbishop of San Francisco, his name is Salvatore Cordelione. He is pushing back against Nancy Pelosi. So Nancy Pelosi recently um, tried to use her identity as a Catholic, and I say that with irony because we know your identity as something doesn't make you that something. She used her identity as a Catholic to try to push for abortion of all things. I mean, it's so, it's like, it's almost like the Antichrist listening to her. It's so satanic to hear her pretend to be in communion with God while also pushing for the destruction of human beings made in God's image. This is what she said, quote, as a devout Catholic and mother of five in six years, I feel that God blessed my husband and me with our beautiful family, five children in six years, almost to the day, but it's not up to me to dictate that that's what other people should, and it is an issue of fairness and justice for poor women in our country, end quote. I guess poor women don't deserve the blessings of God. Okay, Nancy Pelosi. Well, Archbishop Cordelion has even stronger words for Nancy Pelosi. He says, and I quote, let me repeat, no one can claim to be a devout Catholic and condone the killing of an innocent human life, let alone have the government pay for it. The right to life is a fundamental, the most fundamental human right, and Catholics do not oppose fundamental human rights. He goes on to say the smokescreen of abortion as an issue of health and fairness to poor women is the epitome of hypocrisy. What about the health of the baby being killed? What about giving poor women real choice so they're supported in choosing life? This would give them fairness and equality to women of means who can afford to bring a child into the world, end quote. That is the kind of leadership that we need from the men who lead our church. That is the kind of spiritual leadership pastors and priests and bishops and archbishops and even the Pope ought to be demonstrating to us all around the world. Remember, the Catholic Church teaches that before God formed you in the womb, he knew you, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in your mother's womb by God. The Catholic Church teaches it's a grave moral evil to end a human life by abortion. And if you have committed a grave moral evil, you are in what's called mortal sin, meaning you have actively and knowingly rejected Christ. If you have actively and knowingly rejected Christ, then you're not allowed to receive communion. You're not allowed to receive the Eucharist because you cannot reject and destroy, reject Christ and destroy his image on one hand and then receive him on another. The body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist on another. This archbishop is one of the only is one of the only leaders of the church who is saying that Nancy Pelosi is a fake Catholic. I'm not I'm not sitting here pretending to know the actual state of her soul. The Bible says and the Catholic Church teaches that you can't condemn obviously, you can't know if a soul is going to be condemned to hell or not or go to heaven and live with God for all eternity. I have no idea. All I know is that Nancy Pelosi is actively and knowingly violating the doctrine of the Catholic Church. She is not a devout Catholic and every Catholic in this country should say so. Now let's talk about Billie Eilish. 
There's no good segue from Nancy Pelosi being a bad Catholic into Billie Eilish, the weirdo kid pop singer. So Billie Eilish said the most absurd, most ridiculous thing. I kind of laughed and wondered who her PR agent was when she said this publicly. This is what she said. She said, quote, when I got rich, I started bawling my eyes out. I wanted to be poor so I can relate to most of my fans. I still want to be broken poor. It looks really fun and cute. Again, her PR agent hopefully is having an aneurysm right now. So a couple things. First of all, Billie Eilish has always been rich. The only reason that she is a successful pop star is because her parents are powerful Hollywood producers. There you go. That's the reason that she got into the business. That's the reason she got the record deal that she got. Maybe she has a good voice. Okay, whatever. Her videos are really weird, messed up, twisted. I would never let my daughter watch them. She's always been rich. So let's not pretend that this is something new to her. She's always been a privileged person. No problem with that, just stating the obvious here. So it's also insulting to most of her fans. What does she consider to be poor? You think that you can't relate to somebody unless you are also suffering what they're suffering? I don't know. It's uh, it's ridiculous here. It's also... It's also completely out of touch. She is correct that she doesn't relate to what people go through because to be broke and poor looks really fun and cute. Let's not glamorize people who are struggling. Let's not glamorize what they suffer. I mean, this is this is the most outrageous thing. What, what people in positions of influence should do, what Billie Eilish should be doing, is encouraging people to make the most of their lives, to use their gifts and talents, and use the opportunities afforded to them by the free market to, if they are in poverty, to pull themselves out of poverty. There's also, by the way, nothing stopping her. If she wants to be broken poor, she can give away all that money that she earned. She can hand it out to all her fans. I'm sure they'd love it. Then maybe they could all, then maybe she could relate to them. Nothing stopping her. I don't even understand why someone would say something like this. Um, It's a very silly, immature, weird thing to say. Okay, now we are going to get to my favorite part of the show each week. The five stories the mainstream media will not report to you. So we're going to talk about them. Story number one here, um, a new poll shows the majority of Americans oppose vaccine mandates. This was a poll carried out by the Convention of the States Action and the Trafalgar Group. Um, This is what they found. 71% of people in our country believe that vaccines should be a personal choice. That's a huge majority. 71%. You're actually hard-pressed to find 71% of people in our country who agree on anything, let alone something controversial. So 87% of Republicans do not support vaccine mandates. 67% of independents do not support vaccine mandates. And 59% of Democrats do not support vaccine mandates. That's pretty significant. 59% of Democrats think that vaccines should be a personal choice. So basically, the Democrats who are in office, whether it's at the state level, whether it's at the federal level, whether it's the Biden administration or Fauci, whatever, Democrats in positions of power in elected office or appointed office are not representing their constituents because their constituents do not want vaccine mandates. So the number of people who do support vaccine mandates, it's only 22% of people total. 7.2% of Republicans. 7.2% of Republicans support vaccine mandates, 26.5% of independents, and 33% of Democrats. Again, a tiny, that's really a small minority because 33% of Democrats probably also support communism. You always have this very hardcore, very far left part of the Democratic Party, and it's usually about a third of them. So it doesn't surprise me that that radical third um, supports them, but the majority do not. However, did the mainstream media tell you about this as they are prepping people, reporting stories, trying to normalize and acclimate you to the idea of vaccine mandates? Did they report on this poll? No, no. 
They did not. Story number two. A court in California has ruled that um, the state mandating healthcare workers to use transgender pronouns for geriatric patients in nursing homes or else face criminal penalties is illegal. Well, well, we've been talking about this story for years. I've been talking about this story for years. I actually wrote about this story in my book, uh, which was published in 2019. So it was the third district court of appeal in California. um, And this is what they ruled. Quote, content-based restriction of speech that does not survive strict scrutiny and burdens speech more than is required. Burdens speech more than is required. Well, duh. The First Amendment, it's not just a matter of disallowing or silencing or stifling someone from saying something. It also is illegal to force someone to compel someone to say something. So that's what was happening here. Healthcare workers, if they misgendered a geriatric patient, they could face up to a year in prison a year in prison if they called someone by their biological, by using a pronoun that corresponded to their biological gender. Now, this this law that was overturned, by the way, and this is someone to keep an eye on. I've been keeping an eye on the legislation of this individual in California for years. This legislation had been sponsored by uh, California State Senator Scott Wiener, obviously a Democrat because they all are in California. Um, This individual pushes some of the most radical, radical, gender laws in the state of California. And of course, his response to this ruling is, it erases an individual's fundamental humanity. No, it doesn't. Their fundamental humanity is tied to their gender. Now, I'm not saying that you have to, I'm not saying that healthcare workers should taunt patients that suffer with gender dysphoria. Of course not, that's unkind. It doesn't erase an individual's fundamental humanity. But Senator Scott Wiener constantly pushes legislation that would undermine the rights, not only of Christians and religious people, but of everybody to speak and act according to their religious convictions. This man is a danger to the state of California and all the residents. But did the mainstream media report about the court in California overturning this law? They barely mentioned it. Story number three, Joe Biden used his private email address or a private email address to communicate government business to his son, Hunter Biden. I mean, my goodness, man, I know you love your son. I would too. I know you support him through his struggles. That's fine, you're his dad. But to share government business with someone so corrupt, someone so addled with drugs, very bad judgment. These emails were found on Hunter Biden's laptop. The the email address that Joe Biden used, his personal email address is robinware456 at gmail.com. Joe Biden actually forwarded State Department information about a pending prisoner release um, to Hunter Biden. And Hunter Biden suggested to Joe Biden, this is, by the way, not during the Biden presidency. I should have said that as a preface. This was when Joe Biden was vice president uh, and in the Obama administration. So during the Obama administration, Hunter Biden actually sent his dad an email saying that he wanted a certain person, a particular person appointed to a uh, position in the federal government. He sent us that an email that said, before you fill the positions, please talk to me. And Joe Biden emailed his son back and said, call me right away, please. Or call me right away and signed it, dad. So not only is this very poor judgment, Hunter Biden should have zero influence in our federal government. It's also possibly and probably illegal because Biden seemingly violated the Presidential Records Act, which required him to keep records of all the emails that he sent uh, while he was in the office of the vice presidency. And he didn't do that. He never reported this. We only knew about these emails because they were found by the FBI on Hunter Biden's laptop. This is, of course, in addition to the fact that using a private email address makes you vulnerable to hacking and... In addition to the fact that Joe Biden lied about any connections to Hunter Biden's business, that's debunked once and for all by these emails. But did the mainstream media report this story to you? No, they did not. 
Story number four. Hasbro, the children's toy company, has been conducting training claiming that babies as young as three months are racist. This story really burns me up because I think of my beautiful, perfect, innocent, pure-minded little baby girl, and these radical leftists are trying to say that she could be racist based on the color of her skin. Get out of here. So David Johnson is a whistleblower at Hasbro. He's the one who shared these internal training documents with Project Veritas, and this is some of the garbage that was in these training documents, um, teaching employees that children as young as two are already using race to reason about people's behaviors. These documents say we may see this play out in daycare or on the playgrounds and how kids are starting to choose or exclude playmates and friends. The documents say by age three, children are already starting to apply stereotypes and research shows they also may use racist language intentionally at this age. White children at this age may report explicit or overt negative attitudes towards people of color. By age four, kids are showing a strong and consistent pro-white anti-black bias. I don't know who these kids are that they're talking about, but children are not inherently racist. Children love everybody based on the content of their character, who they are. These radical leftists trying to pollute children, trying to accuse accuse children of one of the worst character crimes in our country, racism, is disgusting. I will never, never purchase another product from this company ever again. Ever. And by the way, the, the person that was conducting this training was a consultant from The Conscious Kid. So wherever this company called The Conscious Kid is, keep your kids far, far away. But did the mainstream media report about this? No, no. Project Veritas had to because the mainstream media probably buys into this premise. Story number five. So Ben and Jerry's, the ice cream company, they always make stupid political statements. I mean, we hardly, I hardly even listen to what they do anymore because they're obviously just a far left progressive company. That's how they use, that's what they use for marketing. That's their strategy is they issue these bombastic statements or really, really lame, not even funny pun names uh, for their ice creams that represent some political stance that they have. That's what they use for their marketing strategy. But they've taken it a step further and they announced that they're going to stop selling their ice cream in quote-unquote occupied Palestine. So that's the West Bank, Judea, and Samaria. Um, that part of the story, most people have heard by now, but here, here's the part that... Um, mainstream media does not talk about. Many states in our country, dozens of states in our country have anti-BDS laws. And what that means is the state cannot conduct business with any companies who are engaging in the boycott, divest, or sanction Israel movement. Many states, dozens of states. And the legislation in these states does not differentiate between Israel and Israeli settlements in Judea and Samaria. So not selling ice cream in the West Bank would count. States should be forced to terminate these contracts to um, not to, along with pension funds, actually, invested in the parent company of Ben & Jerry's. Over 30 states have these laws. In fact, Ron DeSantis of Florida, and I like to give kudos to politicians who are doing a good thing when they are doing it. Ron DeSantis is uh, adding the parent company of Ben & Jerry's to the list of scrutinized companies because it is against the law in Florida for the state to do any business, to contract in any way with companies that are part of the boycott, divest, and sanction Israel movement, and Ben and Jerry's certainly is. So kudos to Ron DeSantis, but did the mainstream media report that part of the story to you? No, no, they did not. So I will. All right, our locals VIP of the week is at H-E-B-E-L. H-E-B-E-L is what I assume your handle is. Welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. We're glad to have you. Please say hi, introduce yourself, tell us what you do, why you're there. We'd love to get to know you. Uh, everybody is so active, so much fun on the community. We have great discussions, great content. So welcome. 
Welcome H. Ebel to the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. Also, also, the great and powerful Jay Hay has another bad take, which I wanted to share with you. He thinks the Winter Olympics is better than the Summer Olympics. I can't even say it without laughing. We're going to do a poll on Locals because I think that he might be in the minority of people. This is just added to his, uh, ta- his, question- his questionable list of takes. His questionable list of takes includes thinking that my hair looks better long than short, which is incorrect. Um, and thinking bobsledding is better than swimming in the Olympics. So ridiculous. So very ridiculous. Um, he also thinks that we should have moon colonies. So please vote in our poll. Not that, I, not that I'm trying to influence you which way to vote. Obviously, the Summer Olympics is superior. Please go to lizwheelershow.com slash locals and tell us why you think I'm right or why you think Jay Hay is right. Um, on that note, we are out of time for today. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Please give us a five-star rating. Write us a review. I like to read them all, especially the witty ones and the clever ones. Um, in the meantime, think for yourself. Before we're back again, think for yourself. Use critical thought, question authority, follow the facts, and don't let government or corporate wokeism or cultural Marxism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzel. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. Senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. And production assistant, Mickey Pisani. This has been a Soundfront production.